Welcome and join me today on the Hi Hello Sura Show, where I decode and deconstruct the stories, secrets, and skills of the creators of our time. If you are looking to challenge the status quo and get new perspectives, join me as I share with you practical advice that you can use to impact your life and help those around you today. Hey there, and welcome to the Hi Hello Sura Show. I'm your host, Sura Al Naimi. Today on the show, we welcome Dr. Mark Tribbett. I am so thrilled for our conversations. As an associate professor of strategy at Pepperdine University, he and I have been having conversations for over a couple of years now, and I'm really excited to have him officially on the show for us to be able to share our time and our conversations together with you, the listeners. So his teaching actually focuses on strategic management, entrepreneurship, and management of technology and innovation. Including to that, he also focuses on executive leadership coaching. His background, PhD, 14 years of experience within the financial services industry, management positions in retail, commercial, wholesale banking. What has this man not done? And don't get me started on all of his research papers that are ongoing. I'm sure he'd have a much more eloquent way of describing that, which is why, without further ado, well, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm so excited. I just heard the news from you that you're going to France uh, next week. Is that right? Yes. The end of this week, actually. Yes. Oh, wow. Very lucky. Yes. it's Thursday today. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll be going very soon. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow, we literally yes. just caught you. Yeah. Well, our, our listeners are very excited, so thank you. Well, thank, I think oh, I'll much. thank you on behalf of them. And for those of you that don't know, Mark is a uh, professor, and the topic is, well, it's at the business school, but it, it covers a myriad of areas. So what can you enlighten us? Sure. I am a professor of strategic management. I teach the mostly the capstone course for our MBA program, and it's across all of our MBA programs and been spending a lot of time lately working with our executive MBAs. And this trip to France is actually part of a different program, but it's to teach strategic management to those who really focus more in organizational development in their training. And I've done that as well as I do some consulting. And I consult in a variety of different areas. Typically it's it with startups, startup organizations. So I have my, my, I'm in kind of the entrepreneurship space. Yes. And then I do some executive coaching as well. So those are the three main buckets of things that I, that I do. But as a professor, that's probably the biggest slice of the pie. And your, and your coaching, your leadership coaching is. Oh, I'm so excited to get to experience that because that's been a long time coming. Again, we thank you. Thank you. you. Yeah. And so I just really wanted to, to learn about, you teach the capstone course, which I only just found out recently because I, I actually had a look at another interview that you're in. And so the capstone course is the final course that they would take. Yes. Yes. And so... How does, you know, so when people get to you versus when they transition, what is it? What is your intention? <laughs> what is, because I'm sure that they come with, you know, a certain, you talked about biases and, and, and perceptions and how do you approach that? And, and, and what's the common 
ones that you face that you're like, okay, I got sure. you. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I love the course that I teach because if I were to describe myself, I'd say I'm a self-described generalist, which has its pluses and minuses. And what I love about my course and the program is that it is designed to integrate everything that they've learned on their way through the program. And so if you talk to many students, they'll probably tell you in my accounting course, I'm thinking like an accountant in my econ course, I'm thinking like an economist and my course is really designed to say, so what, what are you going to do with all of that? And on top of that, most of this, the students that come through the MBA program and especially the executives tend to have a path of entrenchment that they built from the, for themselves. And it typically is based in the success that they've had leading up to that point. And I find that really fascinating, really interesting. If you talk to someone who has accounting experience, no matter what problem you give them, they are going to view it as an accounting problem. The same thing with marketers. There's the same thing with operation folks. And so my job is to, in my course, break that a little bit. And some of my students fight it. They don't want to be broken. They know what they know. And I get that. My job is to try to get them to think more broadly, um, think about things from multiple perspectives. And it creates for a really interesting course and term. And I get a lot of really interesting feedback afterwards. Some say, I get it. You're trying to break me at every turn. And, but that has helped me later to think more broadly. So that's kind of my approach. And I, I it really is fun for me. It actually is really exciting and fun. How, um, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> how is, how does that, how does that reframe work? So what I do is quite simply, I, I teach them the strategic management model, kind of a high level roadmap. And so what that entails is three different sections, right? If I think about strategic management, I, we go through a definition. What is that? What is strategy? And everybody has a different idea. And it's one of those words that we use interchangeably for a lot of different things. And so we get into that a little bit. And then I break out the strategic management model, which breaks down into analysis, formulation, and then execution. And I identify pretty early on who is coming from what type of background. And in teaching them, the most questions that I get is, how does this fit specifically with my business? And I love to say, it depends. And that is something that's hard for people. They think that there should be a specific path uh, to success and every single path is slightly different. And so it's a lot of just uh, opening up the model and then dialogue to, to understand where people are coming from. And the story that I tell quite often in the beginning of the course is when I went through my MBA, before I did my PhD, I got an MBA and I was a business undergrad major. And so I understood how debits and credits worked and I understood lingo and I had someone in my class who was a landscape architect who knew really nothing about business, but was really smart. And the first semester of working with him on projects, he would ask me questions. Why do they do things this way? And I would, my response in the beginning was, that's just the way it's done, accept it and move on. And then I learned from him, 
we can question the way things are done and that might help us to do them better or differently. And, and that's what we typically do. And I encourage my students to challenge each other on the things that they bring to the table in a constructive way. And, and it, it typically works really well, it tends to work really well. That's yeah. That's really interesting because it's, it's, it's getting to the, the why, like why, yes. this? what is the intention behind this? What is it serving? And then can we serve it in a different way? Or is this the right way for this moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so great. And then it's interesting because, you know, their expertise has created this almost like a path dependency, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How Uh, do you help people take risks when they've been so successful so far, you know? That's exactly right. And it's really the neat thing about the program is some of the other things that I tell my students is this is your opportunity to take risks in a protected environment. It's a great for a class, but it's about learning and it's about stretching yourself in an environment where you don't have as heavy stakes at the extreme and losing your job or something like that. It, it's the opportunity to do those things and think about things that way. And so how does that, how does that translate into the leadership coaching or are these, can you shed some light on? Sure. Some of the areas that you're helping coach these executives in, especially I'm I'm curious if some of the areas of focus have changed or maybe they've always been there, but now more than ever, they're becoming more important. Sure. That entrenchment and that previous success that creates that path dependency is evident in a lot of executives. And so a lot of the conversations that I have in coaching people is I've done all this in the past and it's created a lot of success for me. And so I'm very afraid to step away from that. I'm I'm afraid to step away from uh, those things that I know. I think where many executives may miss is the world is dynamic and it is changing very quickly. And the things that may have gotten you to a certain point may not move you to the next point. And what we do is we reinforce those things and we get into a loop where we potentially get stuck. And what I try to do is try to expose people to that changing environment and how their entrenchment may be helping, may be helpful in areas where it may not be helpful. Let's face it, I've had a lot of success doing things a certain way if I'm an executive. It doesn't make sense to abandon all of that, right? To start over, but it does make sense to add to that toolkit. And so I am, I try to be that sounding board for them to try to get them to, I try to be the landscape architect uh, that I had when I was very entrenched in business and kind of specifically in financial services and where that was taking me. And so how would, if I'm a business owner or I'm an executive, how would I know that I was leaning into my biases and what are some things that I can do to strategically break out of them? Sure. I would suggest there's a couple of things, right? I think some are are pretty straightforward, but they're really valuable things that people miss. I think one of the things is talking to the people that you interact with, but that includes developing trust. I think I deal with executives who will say, I have a problem with morale in my organization. 
But I go to my, the people that work for me and I ask them, how do you feel about working here? And everybody says, it's great. And, and I, yeah, of course they're going to say it's great. Why, why would they say anything else to you? Because the fear of, you know, consequences, the, the power dynamic, understanding that all that goes with it. And it is talking to people, but from a level of trust and understanding and an interest and an almost an eagerness to learn, I think is really important. And really, again, back to that strategic management model, continuously scanning the environment to recognize what things are changing that need to be addressed, what things are changing that we need to just watch for down the road or what things have changed that don't impact us. And then making sure that you have a team that will help you to uncover your biases right there. We all have them. So I, I do research in an area, a theoretical lens uh, called upper echelon theory. And it, it all centers around executives and who we are, generally speaking, as executives, how we come to the table creates a field of vision for us. And some of the work that I do is around diversity and what diversity ultimately if we do it well, does is it expands that field of vision. So I have particular vision biases and thoughts that I enter every situation with. If I have someone in my team who is a trusted member, a contributing member of my team who has different biases, hopefully there, there will be some overlap amongst us, across us, but hopefully there will be some differences on the edges that just expand my field of vision. And those are really important things as well. So jumped around a little bit, but building a team that, that has those people, those individuals, those skill sets that I don't have is hugely important. And so where do we start with that? I got to know what I don't know. And many, not all, many senior people that I have interacted with feel they have all the answers. I'm successful. I've done these things. I've done these really wonderful, fabulous things. Just ride with me and we'll do more of those things, which is true, but we don't know everything. We need to understand that and, and then be able to build a team and find individuals to help us fill in those gaps. Mm. I'm just like, as you were talking, I was, the imagery of a kaleidoscope was coming to my mind. And, uh, and also in creativity sessions, we'll often mm -hmm. invite naivety into the room. Yes. Uh, and people from drastically different backgrounds mm -hmm. as we're generating solutions, because as experts in our field, we can't but help to use our expertise to generate. So that's why we purposefully bring in those uh, other influences. I love that because one of the things that I see with people that are very senior in their field, have a lot of experience, people are terrified to say, I don't know. They think I should know, so I will give you an answer, whether it is in the know or not. And that's when they typically fall back on their experience and they redefine a problem through their lens, which may or may not be valuable. So I, I agree with you completely. Um, inviting uh, naivete into the ring is really important and getting people out of their comfort zone is really important so that they really get back to basics. I think that's, I think that's great. That's a great exercise. How do you, how do you advise people to get out of their comfort zones or maybe inspire that the team to get out of their comfort zone? Mm -hmm. I've done a variety of things. I, I've actually even an exercise in 
say someone's, uh, I'll make it very practical. If someone is a lover of music, let's say is an executive who's a lover of music and they don't know anything about sports. I may ask them, Hey, tell me what you know about the NFL. And their, the eyes are big and it's, it's, a, and then we work through it and I say, it's okay. You give me what you know, and then we can go from there. I think when you feel like you have to be the knower of all in the room, it makes it very hard to break out. So using basic exercises and even, I think a lot of times as well, I will share my inexperience in a, an area just to set the mood to say, Hey, it's okay. There's some things that I know very little about and you can teach me. And so when people get that truly embrace that, then they can get the other side of it and say, okay, you can teach me or my team can teach me or those types of things. That makes me think about that vulnerability story that you shared with me the other day about, I think you did share it about the parents and how they were setting the tone. Uh, for exchange. Would you mind sharing that story? Let's see. I'm trying to remember exactly what I... Shall I kick it off? (laughs) I think you said that there were these parents and they saw the other parents and they started to share about how great their children were doing, whether it's grades or something. And then that inspired like a wave of, oh, such and such just got into here or such and such just received this accolade. And then there was a turning point the next time they met and I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. So I think that if I'm recalling correctly, the, a lot of, uh, from parents, particularly a lot of our worth is built up in what our kids do. And so people get very attached to their kids success and it, cause that's a, that's an expression of how great a parent I am. And so I, I lead those things through. But there's a lot of us that, or not even a lot of us, there there are varied paths for all um, kids. And the success of one person's child doesn't mean that the other person's child is, I'm lesser of a parent because my child has less success or does something that isn't down a specific path. And as a parent, I've always been someone who has preached to my kids, do what you love. And it doesn't, you don't have to follow a specific path for me to be considered a good parent. And you're right. I have friends who are very dialed into what their kids do and how they do it. And as a result of it, they press them down a path that they may not necessarily be happy on. And that same kind of advice, do what you love. You have to pay the bills, but right, do right, right. What you love is something that I, I, I try to get people to understand, which it, from a coaching perspective gets into this idea of doing almost like a skills inventory or a job inventory to understand right. what about my job do I, I really love? What things do I not so much and what things am I willing to tolerate in my role? Cause none of us. Almost none of us, I won't say none of us, almost none of us loves every single thing that we do in our job, in our careers even. But there are things that typically we, portions that we love, portions that we say, okay, it's not so bad. And then portions that we know we have to do it, but we really don't want to. So in coaching, I get to that as well. And, And that helps people to find their joy. And when you find your joy, you tend to work more efficiently and more effectively. 
And also I think because you're boiling it down, like the reduction source of like you're peeling back the layers, like it, it's not necessarily that activity, but maybe it's what it means to that individual. And yes. that provides them with the ability to find that in other areas or other careers versus Absolutely. it has to be X, it has to be like a red bow with blue box. So that's one, that inquiry is wonderful. And then I think the thing that I also resonate is just what you're expressing about is um, the vulnerability, the ability in the exchange, whatever level you're at to say learning, maybe sharing something that you didn't know the answer to sets the tone again with right. a climate for just a more honest exchange, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, which I'm noticing a lot more of. I don't know if you're seeing this in your conversations, but just bringing your whole self to a conversation versus this is my professional self and this is me off cut. Just, I feel like, I don't know if this is, I feel like that's just exhausting to have so many different personas. And if I can just bring all of me to this conversation, mm-hmm. the, the, the the collaboration, what we create together is just so much better. Have sure. you seen any of that at all? That's a fascinating and very interesting path to go down with bringing your whole self to the table. And it's I've had a lot of discussion with a lot of colleagues from various backgrounds, and it's really a diversity, equity, inclusion discussion that I've had most often about bringing your whole self. And it, I'm on two sides of that. I think it's, I think it's so valuable. I am a firm believer that if you can bring your whole self to the table, we all have these heuristics, right? I meet you and we have an interaction and I'm building a full profile of you with only knowing a very small piece, just like that. Yeah. And so when you don't bring your whole self to the table, I feel potentially I could feel like, you know, it sure is hiding something. I don't know what it is. It's hiding something. So I'm going to pull back. And so there's that piece of it that I think is really important. But then there's the other side of bringing your full self to the table that deals with coming from different places. And so if I bring my full self to the table, the person that across from me may not want to see the full me or may not even may not want to see, may not understand. And so then there has to be a period of explanation and which moves things a little slower. And so it's a really, it's a very nuanced perspective, bringing your full self to the table. I try to bring my full self whenever I am in front of someone, because to your point, it can be confusing to have all these different personas. So I try to be, I try to bring my full self and in such try to invite others to bring that. But it's, it's a, there's a self-confidence involved in that. There's an awareness involved in that. There's this fear of the unknown that's involved, hugely valuable. But I've quite frankly talked to some people that said, I don't want to bring my full self because they interpret it differently. They, and I've had people say, I don't know that you want me to bring my full self to the table. And I, that sounds almost ominous. And I don't think they mean it that way. Right. <laughs> it's, I think it's, if I, some folks think, some people think if I bring my full self to the table, then we're going to have to go through a bunch of interpretation about what that means. And so it's a, it's a very, it's a very nuanced and very interesting 
thing because I've heard a lot of people talking about that most recently. Why do you think that is? Why do I think? Why do you think which part of it? Like uh-huh. that, that more people are talking about it recently. Why do you think that's coming to the fold? What do you think is inspiring it? I think because of what you said, I think it's exhausting to bring three or four people to this, to have three or four different people that you want to bring to the table in, inside yourself. And I think that people feel they're much more at ease when they can bring them full, their full selves to the table. I think I'm lucky in that I work in a profession that is, we're independent contractors, right? So as a PhD, as a faculty, I guess, faculty member, you go through a process and you do have to be very careful about what you say and when you say it and and those types of things and what you bring to the table. And then you get to this point, tenure, and once you get tenure, you feel a little more at ease to say, you know what, I can say and be who I want. And so in my profession, I see it very distinctly. And it's interesting to talk to people from different professions because I get you want to play nice. You want to feel like you fit in, right? I've been talking to some people I know, not in coaching positions uh, from a coaching perspective, but just my friends and colleagues that work in business and industry. And one thing that come has come up a couple of times is specifically people that have a personality, typically is people from underrepresented groups, but people that have a personality where they're more willing, they, they're happiest if they're just quiet and they work really hard. I work really hard. I'm, co- I'm capable. I'm competent, but I'm not the person that's in the front of the room. That's the main voice in the room. And I've talked to people that sit in that position. And then I've talked to people that, that are at the top of the room or leading the room. And they will talk about those individuals and say, I don't think this person is confident because they're quiet. They are, they're not. And trying to convince people, no, that's just their personality. That's the way that they present themselves is really difficult. So that person says, all right, I have to put on a face and I have to come in and I have to pound the table and I have to, so that they know that I am capable, but that's not who I am. And so we need leadership that can get beyond that to really get to who the person is that's in the ring so that they can feel comfortable bringing their, their whole self to the table. Oh, yes. It makes me think about whatever our preference is, the way that we go about doing things. That's what we're looking for. It can be without awareness. That could be what we're looking for in others. So, you know, if we're the activator and to your point, somebody's more conscientious and more deliberate and thorough Mm -hmm. about their approach, the person, Mm -hmm. they're just taking too long. Yes. Yes. and that becomes our lens of how we, you know, see our colleagues or how we see our team and how we uh, create the performance reviews. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so to, to be, any awareness that we can have in terms of this is who I am and these are the other spectrums available in terms of being, mm-hmm. then it then, which is, I would imagine is a continuous ongoing process. It definitely is for me. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that, that goes back to leadership and building a team. The most successful team is, is a team that's not built in everybody and with the same 
likeness, right? It's building this um, diverse team, diverse diversity from a, a variety of different perspectives, right? And some of those may even be skill sets, what we bring to the table, how we bring it to the table, and understanding those things are, are where most successful managers sit. I've been, I'm a little bit of a history buff. And so recently I've been reading and watching a lot about Abraham Lincoln, who was one of those leaders who knew what he didn't know and also invited to be a part of his team, people with very different perspectives than his own for the greater good to achieve an, an ultimate goal. And we just don't see that anymore. We, we, people, I need, I had a professor when I was an MBA student who said to me, and it blew my mind. I will never forget. It. He said he was a former C-suite for a very large company. And he said, the C-suite does not want, you know, maybe he was using hyperbole, but he said, the C-suite does not want diversity. C-suite wants people that look like them, sound like them, believe what they believe so they can all move forward in the same direction. And I remember him saying that and I was, my jaw hit the floor and I was like, wait a minute. No, no, we want this variety of perspective. And he said, no, the CEO in particular typically has three or four years to get in and get it done. And so the CEO wants someone that looks like them, sounds like them and thinks like them. And I, that was just very eye-opening. I guess it sounds obvious um, to many, but it was very eye-opening to me at that time now, 20 years ago. And I, I believe in thinking broadly, bringing different perspectives to the table, which makes it easier again to, for people to bring them full set their full selves to the table. Yes. I, I just, I think that what you mentioned about, it seems so obvious mm -hmm. now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember reading Sheryl Sandberg's book, was it? Lean in, the, uh, mm -hmm. Lean in. Uh, yeah, and I just it blew my mind when I read it. I think I don't know, maybe eight eight years ago or something like that. Sure. Sure. And I just suddenly became so aware of all these behaviors that I was partaking in, mm -hmm. and it, it just I couldn't I couldn't unsee. You know? Sure. And it was just it was so evident. But up until that point, I just didn't realize. And I think that's definitely a role that I aspired to to be sharing the things that are hidden in plain sight and I feel like sure. doing the same thing different areas so with that in mind thinking about where are we we're in March March what are you excited about what's coming down the pike for you that has you I feel like your leadership coaching is taking off and there's just so many things but what are you giddy to giddy to get to yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah I, like I said, I am a self-described generalist. And so I love variety. And so I have a number of different things that are moving along. I'm really excited about the executive coaching that I'm doing. I love to help executives literally step out of the lane that they're in, even if for a brief minute to see what is going on outside of that lane before they jump back into it. And hopefully that broadens their lane, makes their lane a little wider. So I'm really excited about that. I'm working on a project specifically, it's in its infancy stages, but an opportunity to maybe develop some leadership and strategic thinking, coaching for high potential individuals. So they may not be C-suite, but they're high potential in their organizations. 
So I'm really excited about that. And then my teaching always stays really high on my list. And then I, I'm working with a couple of startups and that is so much fun because uh, a lot of the startups have a great idea, right? Whether it's a new to the world idea or it's just a better way to do something that's existing, those things are really exciting. But what I often see, because these are really early stage organizations, these are people that are really into and understand the product or ser service that they're, that they're developing, but they don't know how to manage it and execute it. And I, it can be really frustrating, <laughs> but also very exciting to help people to figure out the execution. I think when someone comes up with a new idea or a new widget, the very next thought is, okay, I'm going to be the CEO of the organization and it's going to be a worldwide phenomena. Um, but we're not all built to be CEOs, right? I was literally before you, before I connected with you this morning, I was reading a post of someone who said the CEO needs a COO. And it said, in most instances, the two are very distinct personalities with distinct capabilities. And so I like to delve into that and figure out the execution piece of it. Again, with the strategic management model, there's analysis, there's formulation, and there's execution. And the execution piece tends to always just tail off. People say, hey, I did all my research. I know there's a need. And so I'm going to build this widget. And they think, okay, that's it. And there's not a whole lot of, okay, how are we going to actually do that? So those are the things that are the most exciting for me coming up. Oh, I see some exciting research being shared. Yes, yes. <laughs> get it in plain sight. That sounds amazing. Mark, how can people get in touch with you? Sure. They can actually reach out to me via my email, mark.tribbit at pepperdine.edu. I'd be happy to talk to anyone. I monitor that and I'm, I'm always on it. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn. And, and although my, I don't, Check it as closely. I'm on Twitter as well. Definitely okay. feel free. Yeah, I try, to, I try to be everywhere. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I just can't emphasize enough. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Please get in touch. Let me know what resonated with you. Let me know what sparked an idea for you. Your feedback is the thing that is really cultivating and shaping every show that you get to hear. I will, of course, have Mark's information and ways to contact in the show notes. So do not hesitate to reach out to him. And for myself, if you've enjoyed the conversation, your reviews mean so much to me. And if you're also looking to tap into consistently being able to think differently, getting the mindset, the framework and the toolkit to get new solutions out the door, then check out hihellosura.com forward slash think differently and you'll be in for a pleasant surprise just there. So as always, I'm looking forward to having you join us on the next show. For now, I'm your host, Sura Alevi. Al